I'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to, uh, to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest again, we welcome you. It is great to be here on family day. Every day is a good day for God's family to be together. The Lord's day every Sunday is especially a great day. And then once a year we have family day on a Sunday and it just seems to make it all the more special to think about the wonderful activities and, and just the additional things that we'll have the opportunity to do together as a family. Uh, every Sunday we come together and we worship together and we we study God's Word together in Bible class, and that schedule remained the same this morning. But then afterwards, everybody here is invited to a meal that's provided. Uh, you don't need to bring anything. Nobody's bringing anything. It's provided. And if you're a guest uh, or a member, we, we invite you to stay after Bible class is over. Just shortly after that, uh, the lines will be open and you can go through then. If for some reason you'd rather go home and maybe change clothes and get ready for the afternoon, you can come back and the line will remain open for a couple of hours. Um, that might be a stretch say an hour and a half or so. It's going to be open a while because it's all during second service and then after second service. And so you've got options that, that others will not have today. And so if you want to jump in right after Bible class or if you want to wait an hour, uh, just know that the whatever's best for you, uh, that'll work just fine. At one o'clock, we'll meet here again for worship. Therefore, there will not be a 6 p.m. worship here today. So at one o'clock today will be our afternoon worship. And then after that, there will be many activities uh, that, that you have had the opportunity to be a part of. Allow me to give you just a couple of updates. We've already mentioned these before, but the reminder that West Elementary fired up and board games is not on this year. We'll put those on the back burner for another occasion. Uh, but what is still open, if you're saying, oh, we meant to sign up before and we haven't signed up for anything, uh, there are six that are still open. Four will remain open. They're kind of endless on the number of people. One that does have limitations of how many is the Farmer's Market, the Bicentennial Mall, and then dinner at Loveless Cafe. There's still about six open for that. We'll be leaving just right after the, the afternoon service. But then also the Long Hunter State Park is open. The on-site escape game still has a few openings for the afternoon. And then the Cedar Creek Putt-Putt or the Roxy Theater or Bowling with the Kiwis and the Cartwrights. All of those are open and have several slots uh, available. And so if you haven't jumped in yet, feel free to sign up. Uh, they're still out there around Information Center. If you want to pick up your sounds tickets, those are at Information Center also. And of course, You'll need those to get in the game, so don't forget to pick those up before you leave uh, after the afternoon service. Everybody will only be at one or at the most two events today, and so what we'd like is to be able tomorrow to see what everybody enjoyed. So while you're at your event today, get your phone out, take a picture, and uh, then send the picture to this email address, church at mountjuliet.org. 
church at mountjuliet.org. And uh, we will look forward to putting those on the e-messenger tomorrow and all of us getting to see a little bit of the enjoyment that has taken place. Early this morning, I was just thinking to myself, it's going to be neat that most people in our congregation tonight will pillow their head. They'll think back and say, it's a great day. And they'll be able to say, I know somebody in my church family a lot better than what I knew them when I started this day. And that's a part of the goal of this day. And so it's pretty neat to think about. You're going you're to eat under the tent with somebody maybe that you don't know very well. You're going to spend the afternoon with somebody that maybe you don't know uh, as well uh, now as what you will by the time the day closes. And what a blessing it is for God's family to have the opportunity to worship together, to serve together, to eat together and relax and play together. I love the book of Proverbs. We've started two Sunday nights ago thinking about the book of Proverbs with the theme of family in mind. The first lesson was a pretty much an introductory lesson to make a plea for wisdom. Wisdom changes lives. Wisdom changes families. And so last Sunday night, we looked at the topic of a wise wife. The difference that wisdom... That wasn't it. A wise husband. The difference that wisdom makes in the life of a family man. This morning, we're going to look at wisdom in the lives of parents and children. And then at one o'clock, we'll come back this afternoon and we'll look at wives, wisdom. And for all of this, the idea is you get to choose. You really do. You get to choose whether or not you want to be wise or foolish. And so it may sound a little bit silly, but I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but I'm asking you to answer in your mind. Do you want to be a wise family member? Do you want to be a wise parent or a wise child or husband or wife? It's real important that you know the answer to that because if you say yes, you're to seek it. You're to seek wisdom like it's a treasure. If you say, well, I haven't really thought about it lately, you have answered it. Your answer is, I don't care whether or not I'm wise. I'm apathetic to it, and so therefore I settle for foolishness. You remember where all this wisdom, not our opinion. We looked at this two weeks ago. Where does wisdom begin? You remember there, Proverbs 1 and 7? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the first thing that has to exist for us to obtain godly wisdom is that we have to have a godly fear. That fear is provoked out of the promises of God. I believe that when God says he will bless the people that follow him, I believe those promises and I jump in with both feet because I believe that. But I'm also aware of the fact that I believe when God says that there will be curses, in other words, negative consequences that comes in the lives of people that do not follow him, I believe that. And so in wisdom, we, all of that wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. I believe his promises. I believe what he says about his punishment, his curses that he will bring in an individual's life or a family's life based on whether or not we choose to live in wisdom or in foolishness. And so first this morning, as we think about this topic of parent and child, let's think about the parents for just a moment. Look with me, if you will, to Proverbs, the first chapter in verse eight. We just read verse seven. Let's read just verse eight here. And I'd like for you to notice that 
Here he places an emphasis on both parents being involved in the instruction of children. If there's going to be wisdom in the home, there has to be a lot of instruction. But what kind of instruction? Wise instruction. If there's going to be wisdom in the home, there has to be much wise instruction. So here's how he says it here. And, and you probably know this, but Proverbs was written by Solomon. Most of the Proverbs was written by Solomon to his son. So that's why oftentimes when we read my son, it's not that he's trying, the, the, that God is trying to leave out daughters. Uh, he's just speaking specifically to his son in writing this, but it would be true for sons and daughters both. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. The primary responsibility of teaching lies upon the parents. Not the youth minister. And not the education minister. And not the Bible class teachers, the preachers, or the elders. All of those are wonderful supports to the system that God put in place for parents to teach their children. Moms and dads, I'm begging you to believe this. Your children will not grow in wisdom as they should and could if you will not be the primary lead of instruction. You should greatly appreciate the other opportunities they have to be supported. But if you look at all of these as a substitute for you, you have fallen for foolishness. That is very, very foolish. Well, I bring them to class twice a week. I bring them to a, a, a good church family and they're surrounded by it. That's great. But are we going to walk by faith or by sight? Faith says, God, I'll believe you even if I don't see exactly how it's going to work out or how it's exactly best. Do you believe God when he says, this is the instruction? Well, what is instruction? We know what instructions are. You, you pour out a box that says some assembly required and what do you look for? You look for instructions. But you know, in the Hebrew, this word, it does mean that, but it has just a slightly tilted connotation to it. It's instruction, especially including corrections and warnings. And so here he says, fathers, I want you to instruct your child in life, but I want you to instruct them constantly warning them about the things that would pull them away from the path they ought to be on. Son, daughter, I want to teach you about this path, but I also want you to note this. This right here can come up in the way. This temptation can happen. This situation can happen. I'm warning you. Sometime I'm even correcting you. That's what this word instruction means. But notice when he says about do not forsake the law of your mother. In other words, mothers are very much a part of this instruction also. And so he chooses the word law here, which in the Hebrew is Torah. In other words, in other contexts, you could say, oh, this is talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. Or you, other contexts, you could say, this is talking about the Ten Commandments. Well, what does he mean in this context? In this context, he's saying, just as God gave Israel law, good mothers are going to give their sons and daughters law. Have you ever heard the expression? Somebody looks at a mama that just got on to a child and just kind of really instructed them. And they say, what? 
she laid down the law to him. You ever heard that? What does that mean? That means she just gave him instruction of how it's really going to be. God gives us law. He gives us instruction. Wise mothers take the law that God gave them and helps apply that law into their child's life on a daily basis. And so wise mothers are constantly instructing their child on law. Listen, moms and dads, life can't be made up of all suggestions. Life can't be made up of, well, if, if I were you, I would think about this. Sure, there, there are gray areas in life and, and there are times that our children need to be suggested things. But do you realize that there are lots of times that our children need very clear, distinct boundaries spelled out to them, just like God gives us clear, distinct boundaries. This is the law. This is the way we're going to live in this house. This is the way we're going to live our life. Why? Because it's law. That's where wisdom begins is the fear of the Lord. I believe when God speaks, I ought to obey it. I want to teach my children to believe that when God speaks, we ought to obey it. This ultimately is God's law. Now, look with me, Proverbs, the sixth chapter, verse 20. And, and on this, notice how he speaks to the mothers and fathers again. We're going to read a few verses. And as we read on, now maybe not immediately into verse 20, but as we read 21, it's going to start this way in 22. It's really going to get this way. And you're going to think, wow, in principle, that's just like Deuteronomy 6. You remember in Deuteronomy 6, that great passage where God was speaking to Israel and he told them how much that they ought to love him. He's talking to the adults and how much they ought to love him. And then he immediately goes over and says, now you teach these diligently to your children. And he talks about when you go to bed at night, when you rise up in the morning, when you're at your house, and when you go on your way. In other words, in Deuteronomy 6, God was teaching Israel, you teach your children to love me and you teach them at all times, morning or night, and at all places, home or abroad, you teach them to love my teachings and my ways. This is similar language. It's almost as if Solomon is just borrowing some of that language and this is what he's teaching. And of course, Solomon would have borrowed that language because he would have lived by Deuteronomy 6. And so notice this, again, mother and father here. My son, 6 and 20. My son, keep your father's command. In other words, the father is going to give you a way to live. And do not forsake the law of your mother. In other words, your mother has given a law. Do not forsake that because ultimately a Christian mother and father are giving the law of God or giving the ways of God. And we're going to see that in just a few minutes as we read down this very same passage. Now notice how this sounds like Deuteronomy 6. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. Verse 22. When you roam, he's talking to the children here. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, They'll keep you, they'll guard you. When you are awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and a law, and the law a light, reproofs of instruction or the way of life. So again, he talks to the mother and father both. And again, the mother and father are gonna give commandments, the mother and father are gonna give law. But what are they doing? Parents, our task is not to just give our children a ton of, of yeses and nos and do's and don'ts. We're ultimately guiding our children back to God. 
And so as it is age appropriate, we're constantly speaking to them about, well, this is what God would want you to do. This is, this is what God would say about this. Maybe when you're correcting your four-year-old for, for telling you a lie, maybe you sat down that night and say, hey, you know how we were talking earlier today about how important it is to tell the truth? I want to read, I want to read a verse or two so that you'll see that this is what God wants us to do. And, and honey, I love you so much and I love God so much and I know you love God and I want all of us to be in a good relationship with God. And here's what God says about telling the truth. What did you do in that? You didn't just say, here's a law. You tied the law back to the loving God that is offering that law because he loves us and wants to protect us. That is so important. You know why, right? He talks about right here why it's important. Moms and dads, we can't be with our children 24-7. They're going to go to school. They're going to go over to a friend's house. They're going to go to their own bedroom. And so the question is, if you are planning on being the authority in your child's life and, and everything begins and ends with you, notice where it's supposed to begin. It's supposed to begin with the fear of the Lord. But if you're just like, oh, no, I never, I never talk with my children about the Bible. I never talk with my children about God. Okay, so what's going to happen when you're not around? You see this verse 22? If we teach them the law of God and see that the authority of God is what is reigning in their life and they grow to love God, they grow to respect God, and they roam, who's going to lead them? Who's going to guard them? Who's going to be speaking to them when you're not there to lead them and to guard them and to speak to them? You know, if you would have told me that my oldest child would be 17 at the beginning of the month, and by the end of that month, he'd be 18 and he'd leave home and never come back. I would have not believed you. But he went to college and immediately went to Arkansas, went to college and immediately went to California, went to college and went to New York and went to college and got married. Parents of younger kids, who's going to keep your child when you're not in the same state? Who's going to guide your child when they've left you? Who's going to be speaking to your child? What we want is we want to make sure that we have raised them up with the instruction of God so that the older they get, the more obedience in their life is toward God than toward us. And I'm not saying that the parent and child and that the parent and God ought to be in conflict with each other. But I'm just saying when they're really young, they obey because you're the parents. But as they get older, we need to shift that over so that the child grows to understand you're obeying because it's the will of God. And all we're asking you to obey is the will of God. And so then when they're not in your sight, they know what to do. They know who their God is. They know the authority in their life. 
And that happens so much quicker. That growing up happening so much quicker than what most of us parents ever realize while we're in the midst of them being at home. And so what does this do? I'd like for you to look at Proverbs, the second chapter in verse one. And as we look there, I'd like to flip this coin over. And just for a moment, I'd like to talk to the children. Children, what does this do to you? It gives you a responsibility. Your parents can't live your life. You're five years old. And you know what? You still have to decide if you want to be obedient or not. You're 10 years old. You have to decide if you're going to be wise or are you going to hate instruction and be foolish? You're 15 years old and, and you can decide you're a know-it-all and nobody's going to instruct you. Or you can be a 15-year-old that is humble and godly that says, you know what? More than anything, I want to be wise. The choice really is up to each child. Look at Proverbs 2 and 1. He says, my son, if, there's a big if here, if you receive my words, you know what receive is in football? When the ball is in possession of the quarterback, the receiver doesn't have the ball. But what about when that ball is thrown and the receiver receives the ball? Now it's in his hands. Now he is taking it into his possession. Now, if you will, there's buy-in. The question with all the children here this morning is, have you bought in to the word of God being wisdom for your life? Have you received it into your life? Notice what he says to his son. You have to decide if you're going to receive it. Now he's saying, son, I'm teaching you the will of God. So it starts out being the parent saying it because the child's so young, that's the way it's understood. And so the parent is giving him his word, which is ultimately the will of God. If you receive my words, now notice this next thing, and treasure my commands within you. This idea of treasuring knowledge is the idea of such great value placed upon it that you really want to learn it. You really want to comprehend it. You really want to hang on to it. You know, there are some things we treasure so much we memorize them. There are other things that we treasure so much that in a sense, we don't have to memorize it per se. We've just treasured it so much we know it. Like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I love that. I've studied that a lot. I've, I've, I've given my life to that. I hope that all the children in this audience can say, I want to receive wisdom from God. And, and I treasure wisdom from God. I'm always devoting my life to learning that. And look at verse two. Here's why. So, so that you can incline your heart, your, your ear to wisdom. You see, it's one thing to learn the knowledge, but do you have the wisdom to take the knowledge of God and apply it to your day-to-day -day life? Do you know how to take the knowledge of God and apply it to junior high school? Do you know how to take the knowledge of God and apply it to the sports team that you play on? Do you know how to take the knowledge of God and apply it when you're running around with your peers, your best friends? That's the responsibility that's placed upon children. Are you gonna receive it? Are you gonna treasure it? But then once you treasure it, are you going to incline your ear to wisdom? Are you listening kids? Who could help you know how to apply that? You've learned scripture. 
Who could help you know how to apply that in those situations? If you have godly parents, you need to be listening to them, not to just learn verses out of the Bible, which is rich. That's the treasuring part of the commandments. But you need to listen to your parents so that they can help you learn how to apply that knowledge to life. Do you have godly grandparents? You need to go sit on the front porch with them. They don't do that anymore, do they? Invite them to go out to the front porch and say, hey, granddad, grandma, we just need to talk a little bit because you have wisdom that I need to gain. I need to know how you live this godly knowledge, scripture. I need to know what does that look like in real life? But then notice that last part. It's, it's just right along with that. And apply your heart to understanding. Hey, are you really serious about this class? And let's say the teacher asks you that and you really are and you say, yes, I study hard. I've done all my homework. How would you prove you were serious? All right, what about if God right now said, hey, are you really serious about learning and living my will? Could you say, Lord, I've applied my heart to understanding. I have applied my heart to learning your will and learning how to implement your will in my life. Lord, I listen to, I have some godly friends. I have some godly parents. I have some godly grandparents. Maybe I have a godly uncle or aunt. God, I listen to them. I watch their lives. I'm trying to learn how to apply this. Youth, that's your responsibility. That's your responsibility to hunger after righteousness in that way. We're going to skip a lot of slides. I want to close by giving you a passage out of Proverbs 19 and 18. Proverbs 19 and 18. Toward the very end, about the fourth. Good, thank you. Parents, when we instruct our children and they don't go in the way of righteousness. God calls us and demands us to punish them. We are not punishing them because I'm angry and, and you disobey me and you ticked me off and you're gonna pay the price. We don't do that. We don't punish out of anger if we're godly parents. We punish because we want the fruit of righteousness in their life. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, teaches that clearly. Several Proverbs teach that. And maybe we'll have a, another lesson in this series where we'll come back and all the things we skipped on discipline there. But I want you to see this. If your idea is, I'm not going to punish my child because I love them so much. You are foolish. Loving parents punish their children. Well, my children got, my child got called out of school and I tell you what, I went down there and I told that principal off. You are foolish. Well, you know, they had a bunch of friends that mistreated them. I went and chewed those friends out. You're foolish. How long are you going to rescue your child? Are you going to let your child bear the consequences of their decisions? Are you going to let them grow up? Are you going to let them learn how to live life. Look at this verse. Chasten your son while there is hope. In other words, what if, what if you say, I'm not correcting my son. Well, you're saying, my son's not going to have any hope in life. I'm not going to put the foundation in their life that they need. And do not set your heart on his destruction. In other words, he's saying, for those parents that say, I love my children so much that I rarely correct them, he's saying, you don't love your ch child and you are destroying their lives. Now, could that really be true? A parent that doesn't want to correct their child and wants to say, I love you so much, I'll protect you, I'll, I'll rescue you from anything you get yourself in because I love you so much. 
Is that helping them or is that destroying them? Well, God says it's destroying them. Look at verse 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, he'll do so well. Just go and rescue him. That's what it says, right? If you rescue him, you will have to do it again and again. Do you remember Ethan Couch? Do you remember the young man in Texas that's been accused of affluenza? The idea that he can't be responsible for killing four individuals while he was drunk because his parents rescued him so many times that now he is no longer responsible for his decisions. When he was 15, he was driving drunk with a girlfriend half naked in the truck, open vodka bottles, and he was pulled over and he was arrested. And the officer said, I spoke with him at some length about the various consequences of his driving and drinking. The Fort Worth, Texas officer said, but his mom came down, she bailed him out. Got you out of that one, Ethan. Four months later, was it two or three times beyond the limit for drunk driving? And he killed four individuals just four months later. In court, the reason that his attorney said he couldn't be held responsible is because 20 times in this short life of this young man, his parents had bought him out of trouble. 20 times. The attorney went through them each. He says, you can't hold this young man responsible. He's been rescued every time. He has a hard time listening and has come from a family with wealth and he appears to believe he's privileged and entitled and is not responsible. I want to tell you something that's misleading about that story. The most misleading fact of that story is the belief that your parents have to be wealthy to raise you to believe that you're entitled. There's probably kids in this room right here that feel very much entitled because their parents rescue them anytime somebody hurts their feelings. Anytime a teacher looks at them sideways, anytime they have a pain in their life, the parent rushes in and says, oh, set this straight. And I want to tell you, According to the word of God, you're acting like a foolish parent. Your child needs to live in the real world where sometimes people mistreat them. Sometimes people hurt them. Sometimes they make mistakes and they're going to have to suffer the consequences of their mistakes. Just yesterday, I finished up a parenting seminar and at the end of the seminar, I just gave the example, and this verse that I just read was in my mind, and, and I just gave the example that, that went along with the entire seminar, that what we're doing is we're not trying to raise kids that are comfortable and happy at the moment. We're trying to raise kids that are responsible and mature and ready to leave home when the time comes and they're able to stand on their own two feet. 
And so at the end of the seminar, I said, I, I, just imagine the people, the parents that rescue. And I said, imagine the, the mom that goes in and, and rescues the elementary school, uh, the child when they're in elementary school because their teacher hurt their feelings. And then they, they go in and, and they rescue them at their summer job when they're 16 years old because their boss says something mean to them. And I said, what are they going to do at 26 year old? Or, or, or are they going to go in when they get fired from that job? And, and is the parent going to go in and chew out the boss when the, the kid's 26 years old? We closed out the seminar and a guy beelined to me and he had a big smile on his face. He said, man, that is hilarious, that illustration you gave at the end. He said, I'm one of four siblings and my mom spoiled our youngest one. She said he raised him completely different than the rest of us, ours. She, he said, just last week, he got fired. He's 26 years old, he got fired and mom called and chewed out his boss. <laughs> Listen, they're not a wealthy family, but you know what? She feels like her son is entitled. Your children don't need to be rescued. Your children need loving parents that will just hold them up enough for them to bear the consequences of living in a real world where pain exists. And when you make a mistake, you bear the consequences of your mistakes. But if you want to rescue them, Maybe you need to cut a deal with them to let them know, hey, I'm only going to do this to your 35. I'm only going to do this to your 45. Like you ought to give them a heads up at what year are you going to say, hey, I'm going to let you grow up. Just know it's going to be at 45 and I'm, I'm done then. We know we don't want that. This morning, let's really set our heart on being wise parents, wise children. Let's set our heart on truly studying Proverbs to gain wisdom from God, to know how to live life and to be stronger and better families. Is there anything that we can help you with this morning to be a better family member physically or a better family member in the spiritual family of God? Have you been baptized into Christ so that you can become a part of that family? Do you need to be restored? Can we help you come as we stand, as we sing?